Good morning, friends. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open those to the last chapter and the last event of the Gospel of John. We have arrived. We will finish it up next week. We will kind of do uh, one big review next week and look at the epilogue. But today we actually finished the last event. John chapter 21 will be for our scripture reading, verses 15 through 25. But, but next week we finish up the Gospel of John and we unpack the epilogue. And some of you probably asked me, what's next? For the month of June, we're going to do a one-month series on Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the narrative of a different character each week. And then this summer, we're unpacking a very practical book. It's in the wisdom literature of your Bible. I'll give you a clue to what it is in the form of Jeopardy, to give you a hint at it in the form of Alex Trebek. I don't look like him and I don't talk like him, so it's not going to work as well. But a book of the Bible that describes a life well-lived under the sun. Okay, um, but today we're going to read John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. And Jesus, last week we saw, forgives Peter with the bread and with the fish and with the charcoal fire. And then today, Jesus refocuses or recommissions Peter in verses 15 through 25. Notice it with me. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my lambs. He said to him, again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? How did he change that? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him again the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved in spirit because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you. What is he talking about here? And bring you where you did not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. But when he had spoken this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter then turning around, shoving his foot in his mouth, you know, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, whom, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing this man, said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to the things and wrote these things. Who is this? this? Is John. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if I were to write them in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Thus says the Lord. Thank you. Good morning all. I would like to begin with two verses. I'm going to read it twice because it's that important. I can read it four times if you want me to. Um, but I want you to catch it. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ compels us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he who died for all, 
that we, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I'm going to read it one more time. For the love of Christ compels us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And all God's people say, Amen. That's what I want to talk to you about today, is living for Christ. The mission that we have, our calling in the Christian life. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open those to John chapter 21. John 21, we are on the final episode of the Gospel of John. We will wrap up, uh, as I mentioned already, next week. Uh, But this morning, I I would like to begin this morning with a question that, that as a Christian... As a believer in Jesus Christ, one who has been born again, what is your mission? What is your calling as a Christian? An elderly saint here at Calvary Bible Church posted on her Facebook this week. Now, by the way, be careful what you post on Facebook. It could end up in my sermon, for good or for worse. But she she posted this. She says, you wouldn't be alive if God didn't have a purpose for you. It doesn't matter if you're 35 or 50 or 95. God still has something for you to do. I'm going to pause for just a second. I'm going to encourage you. If you have your note sheet, you can put it on there. There's a little blank at the top of your page. But I want you to answer the question. If you don't have your notes, you can just answer answer it in your head. What is the mission of the Christian life? What is your calling? I'm going to pause for about 20 seconds, and I'm going to let you answer that. What is your calling? What is the mission of the Christian life? Today, Jesus speaks to a man that is demoralized, and he goes to Peter, Simon Peter, and he refocuses, he recommissions Peter for his mission. Today, Jesus speaks directly to Peter, to a man that is so confused, to a man that is demoralized, to a man that is weighed down by guilt. Jesus speaks to Simon Peter, a man who questions the future, who distrusts himself, and there on the Sea of Galilee, on the shore beside that sea, Jesus recommissions Peter, but what is the mission that he is calling Peter to do? You know, when I was unpacking this passage this week, it really got me thinking about the importance of having a clear mission. If you think about every successful business, sport, nonprofit, church, product, and book, have a very clear goal. I mean, think about it. In in sports, what is the mission? It is to win, right? There's a coach, a UCLA football coach that said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Perhaps you've heard that before. The mission of a doctor is to fix the problem. The mission of an engineer, and I'm sure this room is quite full of them, the mission of an engineer is to design and analyze, to manufacture and to test a rocket that takes us to the moon and back. The mission of a bodybuilder is to look huge, in the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger. In in corporate America, what is the mission? It is profit, to return an ROI to the shareholders. 
When I worked at a car company, and I won't say the car company anymore because I was warned that you might be sued if you keep using their name. So uh, I'm not going to do that this morning, but you all know which one I'm talking about if you've been here for any length of time. Uh, but when I worked for a car company, the mission was very clear. I mean, we had something on the wall that said something, but really it was clear. What's the mission of every business is to make a profit. But from day number one, I walked in the door, and it, the mission was clear to this guy. Sell, sell, sell. Insurance, insurance, insurance. That everything depended on how well I sold insurance because it boosted the bottom line. Everything depended on my sales. In order not to be fired, I remember I had to sell at least 25% of my customers the insurance. And in order to get promoted, I had to sell at least a minimum of 35%. But what was interesting is as I look back, man, that's... I mean, it's crazy to think that that was 15 years ago. That blows my mind, okay? Does time fly as fast for y'all as it does for this guy? It just soars. But I, uh, looking back at that, it, was, it gave me clear mission, and it really warped this guy. It gave me a lot of focus, and it reiterates that having a clear goal, having a clear mission is very, very important. So what is the goal of the Christian life? What is our mission? What is our calling? I'm going to ask you that question. What is your mission as a Christian? I'm going to ask you to answer if you're brave enough. So what are some ideas that we have in church culture as Christians that our mission, that is our mission? It's going to be real awkward if y'all don't speak back to me. Discipleship? Good. What else? Reach the lost. What else? Do God's will. Good. What else? Encourage one another. Heard another one? Follow Jesus? Is that what... Okay, bring glory to God. I might be butchering that, Tammy. <laughs> There's a lot of different things, but Christians need goals. We need a mission. We need a finish line. Why? Because it gives us focus. It gives us something to aim at. So the question today, the question Jesus answers to Peter is what is his mission? What is his calling? What is his finish line? And in John 21, Jesus answers this exact question to a man that has forgotten it, to a man that needs forgiveness, to a man that needs clarity, to a man that distrusts himself. And if you remember, where, where are we in the story? Yes, this is the final episode in the Gospel of John, but where are we? If you remember, over the last couple of months, we've been kind of unpacking the last few chapters of the Gospel of John. If, if you could kind of put it in a timeline, John 13 through 21, that big piece of the Bible is basically two or three weeks. So what has happened in the last couple of weeks? That Jesus was tried, he was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again. And if you remember, Jesus, about two weeks ago, in John chapter 20, Jesus appears. And who does he appear to? He appears to Mary Magdalene. And she is so distraught that she cannot find his body, that she doesn't even recognize Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener. So he appears to Mary Magdalene, he appears to the ten, and then he appears to Thomas. And then if you remember the story, we briefly talked about this last week. Think about this. In John chapter 20, where are they? And in John chapter 21, where are they? In John chapter 20, they're in Jerusalem, which is in the southern part of Israel, southern New Jersey. Israel is about the size of New Jersey, to put it all in context. So the disciples in between John chapter 20 and John chapter 21, they walk about 80 miles from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. And there in Galilee, they wait. Why do they wait? Because Jesus tells them to wait in Galilee until he shows up. Matthew chapter 28. But Peter, and 
Lord bless Peter. He's kind of impulsive, okay, as we all are to a certain degree. Peter decides not to wait any longer. And what does he do? He goes fishing. Why does Peter go fishing? That instead of stewing in all of his failure and denying his Lord, instead of having his mind focus on all of his woes, he decides to go fishing. Why? Because it is familiar. And then Jesus, what I love about John 21 is that Jesus meets him there. In the midst of all of Peter's mistakes, in the midst of all of his failures, Jesus does not condemn him, he doesn't shame him, but he meets him right there. And Jesus, if you remember the story, Jesus builds a charcoal fire and he brings bread and he has a fish. Why? We'll talk about it here in just a minute, we'll remind you. But Jesus forgives Peter earlier in the episode, in this part two of this same series, in episode two, he then recommissions Peter. So if you have your text, if you notice the text with me, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. I'm really going to go to verse 23. But this passage breaks down into four main parts. And yes, four and not three. I know I always have three, but today I'm going to have four. And what we see in verses 15 through 17 is we see Peter's motivation and we see Peter's mission. We see both of these things kind of intertwined. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, who's there? Who's the they? It's Jesus and seven disciples. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, notice this part, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. What is Peter's motivation to finish the race? It is his love for Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ compels us. His love for Jesus compels Peter to run the race. And I know many of you are familiar with this. There's a wordplay going on here. But just think about the power of love. There's an 80s song about that. I'm not going to let you sing it. But think about the power of love. Love motivates us. Love is the driving force of life. Love is the driving force of the kingdom of God. Love binds families together, and can rip families apart. God the Father sent His only Son to die on the cross. Why? Because of His love for us. Love motivates. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates His love for us, and that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us compelled Him, motivated Him to send His Son. And God's love for us then in turn motivates us to what? To live for Him. Love motivates us. Mothers in the room. Amen? There's a reason why, there's only one reason why mothers do not kill their children. It's because you deeply love them. Okay? I'm sure every mom has thought about that in their mind. Love motivates a, a woman to stay with her man and all of his messiness. True love is not an act of emotions. It is an act of the will True love chooses to love someone in lieu of their imperfections. Love motivates. Peter's motivation to run the race is his love for Jesus. But as I've already mentioned, we're going to unpack it here in just a second, but there's, a, there's an interesting wordplay. If you remember, I'm, the, the, people have studied this passage more than I have, I'm sure, and somebody in the room has. And there's an interesting wordplay going on with the word love here, but I'm going to kind of pause on that just for a second. I want to remind you of something. Notice verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, what's for breakfast? Charcoal cooked fish and bread. 
Now, I'm not sure how many of you eat fish for breakfast. Um, That would be strange a little bit. If you do, that's good. It's good for you. Um, This guy doesn't eat fish ever. Um, And James Galden, I'm going to call him out, he microwaved fish in the office uh, microwave a couple of weeks ago, and I literally asked Jody, is there a sewer line that busted here? (laughs) (laughs) Many of us don't eat fish for breakfast. But Jesus here very intentionally cooks fish for breakfast. Why? There on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus very purposefully brings charcoal, makes a charcoal fire. He has bread and he has fish. Why? When's the last time the charcoal fire was ever mentioned in the Gospel of John? He is bringing Peter back to the very time he denied his Lord. Now, if you remember the story in John chapter 18, Peter is standing around a charcoal fire, warming himself, and there the charcoal fire, Peter denies his Lord. So Jesus, right here, makes that same charcoal fire and he's telling Peter look at this fire do you remember this I forgive you remember the night that I was crucified and I was tried and the night that you denied me three times look at this fire I forgive you why the bread the bread teleports him back to John chapter 13 where he broke bread with his disciples around the Passover meal Jesus is telling Peter hey do you remember this I forgive you but what is Peter's motivation to live on mission is his love for Jesus. I want you to notice a couple other things in your text. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. I'm going to unpack this one verse. Now, I'm just going to confess that this passage you could spend about two months on. I'm not going to do that to you. But this is so full. I mean, I want you to notice what Jesus calls Peter. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Peter, Jesus did not normally call Peter Simon. What did he normally call him? Peter. And Jesus named Peter, Peter, in John chapter 1, verse 42. Simon, son of John, is the, mother, is the name his mother gave him. Jesus calls Peter Simon, son of John. Why? If you grew up like I did, um, when, you, when your mother said your middle name, what did you instantaneously know? You were in deep trouble. You know, when my mother would call me Byron William Grant Bradshaw, you knew, man, I would just... <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing here. He's getting Peter's attention He is saying to him, Simon, son of John, listen to what I'm about to communicate to you. Second, notice here, it says, do you love me more than these? What what is the these? There's two possible answers to that. Some scholars believe, do you love me more than the other six disciples? But to this guy up here, it doesn't work quite as well. What I believe that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these nets? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than the boats? And why does Jesus say that to him? Because Peter constantly runs back to the Sea of Galilee, to what is familiar when he doesn't understand where to go. Peter, do you love me more than these nets? And what does Jesus really want? Jesus wants to be number one in Peter's life. Let me just say something to you. You cannot serve two masters Either Jesus is Lord and master of your life, or he isn't. You can't have, you cannot serve two masters. Jesus is telling Peter, hey Peter, 
Am I your Lord? Am I your master? Do you love me more than these nets? Do you love me more than the boat and the fish? To Peter, either Jesus is Lord of his life or he isn't. Jesus kind of gets what is competition for Jesus' affection out of the way. And then notice number three, how does Peter respond? So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these nets? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, tend my lambs. What is Peter's motivation or goo? I would say it is his love for Jesus. Now I'm going to explain something. What is, what is goo? I'm, I'm using that as an illustration. How many of you have ever eaten goo before? Literally, it's called GU. Anybody run a race in here before? Okay, yeah, a couple of us. I, I, about 20 years ago, I, I, I believe it or not, I ran a marathon, and I will never run one again. Lord bless you if you run, because this guy does not. He is built like a freight train, okay? It's a weird thing to see me run long distances. Okay, but, but when I got to about mile 18, I took a goo. It's like this sugary substance that gave me motivation to finish the last eight miles. That's what I'm talking about here. What is Peter's motivation? What is his goo when he gets tired? His love for Jesus. But now I'm going to talk to you about the wordplay he has. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I'm sure some of you are familiar with what is going on here. The, the wordplay that we see in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, centers around the word love. Now, in English, we only have um, one word for love, right? That's why we have to add adjectives. We have unconditional love or, or puppy dog love, right? It describes the type of love. But in Greek, there's at least four different types of love. There's agape, which is an act, a love of the will. It is completely selfless. Then you have philos, which is an act of a love of emotion or brotherly love. And then you have storge, which is natural affection. And then you have eros, which is a love of the erotic nature, MacArthur, John MacArthur says this, the word Jesus used for love is agape, the highest love of the will, love that implies total commitment. But Peter, painfully aware of his disobedience and failure, felt too guilty to claim that type of love in return. So Peter, so Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me to the fullest extent? And Peter, in his distrust of his own self, says back to him, I only love you as a brotherly love. Why? Why does Peter only love Jesus a notch down? I think he distrusts himself, but what, what is Peter obviously still wearing? He still sees his regret. He still sees his mistake. In the, in, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, John chapter 18, Jesus... In the, earlier in the episode, communicates to Peter, Peter, you are forgiven. And by Peter saying to Jesus, I only phileo love you, he still is consumed by his mistakes and his regret. But then notice, fourth, how Jesus responds to his lower notch of love. He said, tend my lambs. You do not see here... You do not see Jesus the judge, but you see Jesus the shepherd who sees Peter's mistake and he doesn't condemn Peter, he doesn't shame Peter, he doesn't say, oh Peter, come on, you agape love me. He doesn't do that here. He just reminds him of his mission to tend my lambs. 
What is Peter's motivation to finish the race? It is his love for Jesus. And what is the finish line? What is Peter's finish line? It is to tend my lambs or to love others. If you could boil it down to one simple idea, that out of a love for God, our mission is to what? To love others. Does that sound familiar? Out of a love for God, do you love me more than these? We are to tend his lambs. We are to love others. Others. And if you notice in the text, Jesus has three different responses. He says, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and tend my sheep. Out of a motivation of love for God, we love people. Lambs here in verse 15 is younger sheep. Sheep in verse 16 and 17 is older sheep. But who are the sheep? Is it a particular group of people that Peter is to love? I mean, we... we Jesus doesn't literally have a, a, a flock of sheep there beside the Sea of Galilee. He's speaking metaphorically. This is the sheep he's talking about, I believe. John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand. Notice this. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16. I have other sheep also which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Who are the sheep that Jesus is saying here? It is those believers in Jesus Christ. The, the sheep here in John 10 know his voice. Jesus is telling Peter what? To love others. Yes, but can we just put a label on it? To make disciples. To guide his sheep. Both young and old. Jew and Gentile. Lambs and adult sheep. But to guide and to care and to love my sheep. But I want you to... Notice in John 10, what is also Jesus telling him through the story of the Good Shepherd and him using Tend My Lambs? He is telling Peter to not be a hired hand. Don't quit. Friends, um, if you want to know a true leader in the Christian life, we oftentimes, we attach ourselves to leaders that are very charismatic, that are great and good-looking and better-looking than this guy. And, you know, and we just look, we, we look up to them. But really, there's two signs of a leader here is, number one, do they stick it out in tough times? The owner of the sheep stays and fends off the wolves. And number two, a true leader is kind. I believe that's what Jesus is telling Peter. Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Don't be a hired hand when tough times come. Don't run like you did to the Sea of Galilee. Don't return to the nets, but stick it out and to always love the people, love others. That is the sign of a true leader in the Christian world is do you stick it out in hard times and in good times and do you love people? A way that we know we follow God is if we love people. So then the reverse is true also. That if you do not love people, then you are not following God. For God is love. So what is our mission of the Christian life? Out of a love for God, we love others. But then I want you to notice the path to get there. What does he say at the end of verse 
8.19. Notice verse 18 and 19 with me. What is the path to finish the race? I mean, I could spend three sermons just on 18 and 19. There's just so much here. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says that oftentimes when he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to say some kind of principle or to grab their attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. When you were younger, Peter, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. What is he talking about here? And someone else will gird you, notice that, and bring you where you wish to not go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. When I, when I ran the Rocket City Marathon some 20 years ago, they had something that was on the path. If you remember that, if you actually are in South Huntsville, you'll see little yellow markers with an M, and sometimes it has a mile marker of how far you've gone. That marked the path. What is the path to love God and to serve Him? It is to follow me. How does Peter get to the point where he tends his lamps? He follows Christ. No matter what comes his way, he follows Him. The word in the original language, the Greek word for follow, is a Greek imperative, active voice, present tense, which tells me, the the imperative tells me it is a command. The active voice shows me that the subject of the verb is doing the action, and the present tense is telling me it is a continuing action in the present. What did I just say? That following God is an active choice that we make in the present. It's not a, it's not a option that being a follower of Christ requires us to constantly in the present measure if we're truly following Him. And if you're following Christ, listen to me, if you're following Christ, you will love people. Out of a love for God, follow Him that leads us to love other people or to make disciples. That is the point. That is our mission. That is what we're here to do. Out of our love relationship with God, we are to follow Him to the ends of the earth. They are not meant to give up and grow weary. Amen? The call of discipleship is not one of prosperity. Okay? There's a reason why He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What is the call? of discipleship for Jesus Christ. It is not a call for material possessions and greatness in the world's eyes. It is a call to suffer. Amen? That the world will think we're a little bit weird when we follow Christ and we actually obey what He tells us to obey. Friends, listen to me. We so many, Can I just hop on a soapbox real quick? We try to make Christianity relevant to the world, okay, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be. Because we are lights and they live in darkness. No wonder they think we're a little bit different. The call of following Christ is a call to discipleship. It is a call to suffer. I'm just going to speak something real quick. Um, There's a cancer in American Christian culture. We have this thing in America that we get what we deserve. That if I work hard and I save my money, that I will be wealthy or I'll have a nice house. If I take my, pay for my kids to go to the best school, then my kids will make the greatest decisions, will have a wonderful career. Friends, that is a lie. That we get what we deserve. Praise the Lord that we don't get what we deserve. Amen? Because if we got what we deserve, we would not be able to go to heaven. 
there's this false uh, lie that we believe in our American culture that we get what we deserve and nothing can be further from the truth. And we take this mentality into the Christian circle. That the Christian life is not a call to suffer, but it's a call to prosperity. So when life gives you rotten eggs or where your kids turn away from the faith, despite all you have done to raise them in the way which they should go, we, we want to give up. We want to walk away. That, Lord, I did this. I did my part. Therefore, I get what I deserve. That is not true in the slightest. If you actually think about the scripture itself, there is a theme. That the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And it's throughout the scripture. Following Christ is a call to suffer. And if you noticed in your text in verses 18 and 19, what does Jesus say to Peter? But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you wish you would not go. What is he talking about here to Peter? He's saying to Peter that you should follow me despite what is coming. What do we know from church history happened to Peter? That his hands were stretched out, like it says, and he was girded to a cross. And Peter did not feel worthy to be crucified right side up, so he is crucified upside down. Jesus is telling Peter at this exact moment, Peter, I know you're discouraged. I know you're still wearing your backpack of regret. I know you've made mistakes, but you need to follow me in lieu of the pain that is to come. Out of a love for God, we follow Him, leading us to love other people, to make disciples. That is our mission and that is our point. But I want you to notice the one thing that causes Peter uh, problems. See, this is where Peter fulfills his character and he just shoves his foot in his mouth. You notice verse 20, Peter turned around, so they're walking now. And saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following him, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? So Peter, seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? What is the one obstacle? What is the shoe in Peter's, what is the pebble in Peter's shoe as he runs the race? It is comparison. There is one thing that will discourage you quicker than all else. There's one thing that will diminish you, deter you from walking the Christian life. It is comparing your life to other people. Well, Lord, I did everything right. Can I just speak this from a personal level? I I saw this with my father. He is with Jesus right now. But he said to God, God, I did everything right. Why am I suffering? And he just... Literally packed up his bags and he went home. But Jesus has never said that we're going to have a perfect life. He never said that we're going to have economic prosperity. He said, regardless of what happens, you follow me. And do not be distracted. Do not compare your life with anyone else. You follow me. The biggest distraction in life is our own comparison. If you want to be discouraged, just compare your bank account with Jeff Bezos, okay? Or or just compare your life or the size of your church to Matt Chandler, in my case, or whatever. The quickest way to cause your your passion for the Lord to, to diminish is to compare your life to other people. And that's what he says. Peter, 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 Peter. Doesn't matter what I have called for John. 
you follow me. That's what he says. doesn't matter what's going on with John. doesn't matter if he'll live until I return in the second coming. You follow me. Don't worry about other stuff. Don't worry about how prosperous your life is. Don't worry about your spiritual fruit. Think about the, the, the parable of the talents. The, the servant with the talent of two and the talent of five both heard, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It didn't matter how much they... The fact that they lived their life faithfully. Out of love for God, we follow him to love others. That is the point. So allow me, with the few minutes I have left, allow me to kind of take this passage and kind of bring it home for us. Question number one, if you have your notes, is this is the application portion. Question number one is, what is your motivation to run the Christian life? That is obviously rhetorical. It is our love for God. But my real question is, okay, if our love for God is our motivation to follow Him, then the question really is, how do I foster a love relationship with God? Right? Okay, if, if, if my motivation to follow God is out of love, then how can I love Him more? Mothers in the room, okay, people who are married in the room, okay, how do you foster a healthy marriage? There's, there's really only two things, right? There's time and commitment. How do you foster any healthy relationship? It is time and commitment. It's the same thing here. How do you grow in your relationship with God? You spend time with Him. There's a, there's statistics show that there's a direct correlation between, between someone who loves God and how much time they spend in God's Word. How do we foster a love relationship with God? How do we get our love for God to motivate us to follow Him in lieu of all circumstances to come? We spend time with Him, and number two, we communicate to Him. We walk by the Spirit and we pray to Him. Question number two is, follow me. What is God calling you to right now? Jesus called Peter to tend his lambs. You're probably not a shepherd, uh, literally, today. Um, what is God calling you to do? Is God calling you to follow him to start a Bible study at your work? Is God calling you to be a leader here in the church? Is God calling you to forgive your neighbor? Is God calling you to the ministry? You will never know the depths of the mission unless you devote yourself fully to the mission. Question number three is this, is who is God asking you to love? A mission measure that we have here, how we measure success is how, one of the questions is how are we responding to God today, but another one is how, how am I preparing others for God's work? Who are you pouring into? Who are you shepherding? Who are you tending life? What is a believer in Christ that you're guiding and you're discipling to grow and to fall in love with Him? If you're a parent in the room, it's obvious. But if you're an Awana leader, if you're a church leader, if you're just a co-worker, who is somebody that you're supposed to tend and to care for and to bring them to follow and love God? And then question number four is Peter's question, what about this man? What are the rocks in your shoe? What is a rock in your shoe? What is slowing you down from following God? Is it comparison? Is it guilt? Is it sin? Jesus has forgiven you. Let it go. Is it wishful thinking? What is slowing you down from following God? What is our mission in the Christian life? Is out of a love for God, we follow Him so that we can love others. That's the point of John chapter 21. I'm going to close with what I began. 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read it twice. 
For the love of Christ compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. For the love of God compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And all God's people say, Amen. Real quick, um, if you're not one of God's sheep, if you do not belong to the Lord, if you've never been born again, And Jesus Christ offers to you the gift of salvation by grace through faith in him alone, that if you would believe in him, you shall be saved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. If you have questions about how to become a Christian, feel free to see me after the service, and I would love to guide you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. What a a reminder um, to Peter. Lord, thank you that we see earlier in the episode that Jesus forgives Peter, and then here he recommissions Peter. Um, Lord, what a reminder to us all to not get distracted, to not compare our lives to other people, but to focus on loving you and following you so that we can then make disciples and love others, tend your sheep. Lord, I, um, I just pray that we would live for you. Not on Sundays, not on Mondays, but every day of the week. That we would follow you in lieu of uh, things that come our way, in lieu of tough times, Lord, that we would serve you. That we would follow you to whatever end you call us. And Lord, I pray that we would not put Christianity on the shelf just for a day of the week, but that it would be this all-encompassing call that it is. That we are called to follow you, and that we are called to suffer, and regardless, to love you in return. And Lord, we thank you for this morning, and thank you for Calvary, thank you for all those tuning in online, and thank you for, I just want to say, I thank you for my older saints that are here. I thank you just for their faithfulness and the example that they live of a life that follows you for years and decades. What a treasure we have in them. Thank you for my older generation. And thank you for the example they give us. Thank you for today. And we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.